The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate. I'm your host, Vena Jones-Cox, and Real Life Real Estate is your public radio source for news, information, advice, and inspiration to start or grow your real estate investing business. Tonight's episode, A Real Estate Shark Speaks, What I Look For in a Deal. Tonight on Real Life Real Estate Investing, we're going to be joined by a special guest named Nick Motorelli. Uh, someone who not only does his own deals, but can also partner and joint venture with other investors on their deals. Nick Motorelli has well over a quarter of a century's experience buying and selling real estate and is the author of a book called Full Frontal Real Estate, available on Amazon.com through the link helpfully placed at the top of the page at WMKVFM.org. So I encourage you to go there and look for that. Uh, Nick, are you with us, buddy? Nick, are you with us? Yeah, okay. Um, we have a slight technical timeout, and it sounded like I could hear a ghost of Motorelli in there. So we're apparently ready to try again. Nick, are you ready to join us? Hey, I'm here. How ah, about you? there we go. All right, I'm doing just fine. Uh, yeah, there was a there's a there was a switch to switch apparently, and you know my pouring water all over it apparently didn't work. So um, I'm I'm glad you're here. Welcome, sir. Thanks for having me on the show, Drew. I appreciate it. Uh, well, it was completely my decision because I am firmly in command here. So thank you. <laughs> I I appreciate that. We're we're as of tonight, we're going to rename this just the Drew Show. So every uh, cool. every Wednesday from now on. Um, so Nick, let's let's dive right in if we can, if you're prepared for that, because this hour tends to fly by. So I'm just going to okay, start laying sure. down questions for you, and you can start picking them up. Okay. All right. Okay, good. Uh, how about if we begin with you tell us a little bit of your background or history in the real estate business? Well, I'm I'm, I'm not too proud of my beginnings in the business because <laughs> I I kind of consider that a three year long failed attempt at landlording. Yeah, I, I had this this idea that that if you're going to rent something out, you might as well make it a duplex because that way at least one half is always going to be rented out, and so you're going to have some money coming in it all the time, and so it will make it easier for you to service the debt. A and common thought, thinking, sir. Right? A common thought. Yes. The, the reality of it, at least for me, because of my inexperience and inability to qualify tenants at the time, and probably still to this day, I don't know, is that I ended up with two tenants eating my lunch every month instead of one. <laughs> so it was not a whole lot of fun. I spent about three years not really enjoying the business, uh, doing everything wrong, but in you know in the end, um, when we actually sold it three years later, it was a big relief for me. But 
you know, my wife said, well, look at it this way. She said, we made money every month, um, except for three or four months out of 36 or so. And um, she said, we made money at the closing, so why don't you just figure out how to do real estate without tenants? I thought, well, I hadn't thought about that before. And I didn't think it could be done. And, you know, I wasn't someone who thought he would want to do rehab, so I really wasn't sure what I could do. But uh, I figured out ways to get in there and, and buy and sell real estate without tenants and quite often without doing any work, which is another show someday. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. But, uh, that's my beginning, 1987. December 87 is when I, when I first dove in the pool. And um, 1990 is when I got out for a little while. <laughs> 91s when I got back in. So been in ever since. You, you got in at least felt beaten up, got out, licked your mm-hmm. wounds, and then said, all right, let me let me get back in. So, and, and I understand, right? We, we've all been, you know, a little scuffed up by tenants. Um, you know, sure. Yeah, I, I hear it happens to everybody in the beginning, but I just, I, know, I didn't learn from it fast enough. So, and I, maybe I'm just not built for it. So I don't know. Yeah. I got out of the landlording business because it just wasn't for me. Well, sure. And, and good, good on you for recognizing that. So, okay, if we count your start date as 1990, that means mm-hmm. that you've still been in this game a long, long, long time. Um, yeah, longer than I care to admit. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm only 35 years old. How is this possible? And, right? and Venus still only 29. I understand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but what kind of our, our topic tonight is is that you you know, do partners in joint ventures, commonly known as JVs, although I, I kind of hate the flipness of that. Um, mm-hmm. You've been in this for a quarter century. Um, it yeah, seemed like you'd ne- almost 30 years. Yeah. yeah. You'd, you'd never need to split a deal with someone else or, you know, bring in a partner or whatever. Why does someone in your position, you know, uh-huh. uh, go there? Why, why, why do you feel like it's necessary? Why, you know, is it even yeah. necessary at all? Or is it just your preference or kind of walk us through that, that thought process? Okay. Yeah, I had someone ask me about this once before. When she found out how long I'd been in, in the business, she said, well, my gosh, you must be a, you know, a millionaire right by now. And, I, and for me, it was not so much about making money for all those years and hoarding it. It was about having a different lifestyle, mm-hmm. a lifestyle that I liked and enjoyed. And so after all these years, um, you know, I'm not sitting on this giant pile of money, but I've, I am sitting on a giant pile of experience. And the experience has told me that even if you have a lot of money, Eventually, you're going to run out of your own cash if you put all your own cash in every deal. You can only do one deal at a time, maybe two or whatever. I don't ever want to be limited by anything. And so the idea of splitting deals with people is that if you bring them in, you can, you can utilize their resources, and so you can do you know, an unlimited number of deals at any given time. Um, and for me, people will say, well, then, you know, again, they'll say, but more specifically, why do you split the deal with people? instead of having them fund it. Now, let me just clarify what that means. When people ask me why they don't fund it, they're asking me why don't I borrow money from people as, as a mortgage and, and as opposed to splitting the deal with them, splitting the profit with them. And the reason for that is that um, you know, funding a deal means they're going to have to make payments to them every month. That's a monthly nut that, that you know, comes up every month, whether the house is vacant during rehab or, or turnover or not whether something's coming in on it or not. And that can eat into your profitability somewhat, but more it eats into your peace of mind. I mean, for me, splitting is more about pieces. Give up a bigger piece of the pie and get a whole lot more peace of mind. So that's what experience has taught me. Now, I know that you make more profit 
in most cases, if you have someone fund a deal as a mortgage person for you, mm-hmm. and then you make payments to them that, you know, because you can get 7, 8, 10% mortgages all day long from private individuals, because their money's sitting somewhere at, at 0.75% earning that kind of interest in the savings account. Indeed. So they make a whole lot more money with you if, if they can lend it out to you at 7, 8, or 9%. But I don't like having payments. I don't like having to dig into my pocket when the house is vacant or during a rehab. Um, I'd rather give away a, a piece of the deal on the back end and not have to deal with payments. Okay. So that's just something, a preference for me. And I know there are people who disagree, and I, I completely agree that they're that they're they're entitled to their opinion, and if they want to make more money, that's the way to do it. But I'm just saying it's just a little bit easier on your brain and your and your your soul. <laughs> you get to keep more hair, oh. <laughs> which to me is becoming an issue at this point. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> I can so, do everything I can do to keep as much as I can. You're you're not saying that yours is the you know according to Hoyle right way. But it's certainly, right. you know, you're, you, you have a preference for it and, and at least a defensible position for it. So. Yes, it's right for me, not right for everybody. Absolutely. All right. Yep. I, I can appreciate that. Uh, you are listening to Real Life Real Estate. I'm Drew White in for Vena Jones-Cox, and I'm interviewing Nick Motorelli, the author of Full Frontal Real Estate, about his experiences as a JV and deal-splitting person. If you have questions for Nick, you can call us now at 877 877- 7729658 or send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate. I'm Drew White, sitting in for Vina Jones Cox. Our guest today is Nick Motorelli, experienced investor and author, and we're talking about how to get the attention of money people to fund, buy, or partner or JV on your deals. Ask your questions before the end of the show at askvina at gmail.com. Or call in at 877-772-9658. Tomorrow night at the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati, you can watch as real-life real estate investors present real deals to a panel of money people in Rhea's own version of Shark Tank, registered trademark violation. At the early meeting at 6 p.m., you can choose between the fundamental <laughs> the fundamental of real estate contracts with James Flax or how my wholesaling business runs with Vena Jones-Cox. And the answer to that second one better be because I have Mr. Drew in my corner at all times. Uh, more information and a free guest pass at www.cincinnatireia.com. So Nick, uh, welcome back. It, so my next question is: It when when you're at a re meeting or or one of the subgroups or just talking to people about real mm-hmm. estate, particularly newbies and and even some intermediate folks, the question mm-hmm. that kind of comes up again and again and again and again is: Where do I find money? How do I find people with private money? How do I find these uh, theoretical partners? And they all insist that there is no such animal out there yet you and I, mm-hmm. although we take slightly different paths, have mm-hmm. a stable of these people. Why do you think that is? Well, there's two reasons why they don't have private money partners standing by to do their deals. And the first reason is they don't ask. I mean, if you don't ask anybody, what's the answer? It's oh, always no. Yeah. They don't ask anybody. They don't, and I think it's maybe because they don't know who to ask or how to ask. And that's the other part is the second part is they don't know how to ask. And I don't mean, 
they don't know how to ask in the legal sense because you and I know that there are some legal guidelines that you have to stay within um, so you don't violate SEC you know laws and, and get yourself in a ringer. Mm-hmm. Um, but aside from that, because that's another show, but aside from that, they don't have the right posture when they ask. Um, Are you talking about hat-in-hand uh, syndrome? What's that? Are you talking about hat-in-hand syndrome? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they'll, they'll say, um, you wouldn't want to happen to fund my deal, would you? You wouldn't happen to want to loan me money for this deal, would you? And, I mean, I took the, a totally different approach a long time ago. The first time I, I did some private money back in around 93 or 92, I, I can't remember exactly when it was, and I, I was just talking to someone that I knew had some cash they could invest and i said um and they said well how's it going on i said well great you know and i said i've got some opportunities coming up um and uh you know there were people can make some some you know good returns on their investment uh do you happen to know anybody that might be interested in in uh, being considered for this and it had nothing to do with i didn't ask them if they wanted to i asked them if they knew anyone who'd be interested in being considered for this um and it kind of took it from there the whole point is that i am a firm believer in that there are far more there's far more cash out there than there are good places to park it so if you've got a good place to park money yeah you know this right Mm because you've been around long enough and and you've seen it so you can you can validate this Um, so if you've got a good place to park the money you don't need to be hat in hand you need to be out there letting people know that I've got a good place to park your money. Why don't you tell me why I should let you park your money in my deal kind of thing. And you, you do it with a gentle way, and, 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 you, and you kind of want to, you know, let them know, yeah, I'm interviewing investors to see who would be a good fit for this kind of thing. You know, you don't want to be... Well, you're not trying of, to uh, run some profit. kind of Mark Twain scam, right? Right. I, I understand. Right, but right, right. Exactly, I, I exactly. often tell people the way that you ask people for money is that you never ask people if you can borrow their money. Mm-hmm. You know, because, the, exactly. you know, good heavens, no, if you need to borrow my money, you must be financially unstable in some way. You know, so <laughs> I, I kind of do the same thing is, you know, I sort of mention, you know, an opportunity. And what I really am trying to get them to do is raise their hand and say, well, well tell me, how do I get in that? You know, that's, right. that's and even if you do for. all of that right, then the the last reason that, that, that people have trouble getting the money actually getting them to whip out their checkbook and, and, and write a check is that they don't address the, the investor's needs. And the investor's needs are simply, they just, they want to know that their money is going to be safe. Uh, like I think it was uh, Will Rogers that said, you know, investors are more interested on, on a return of their investment than on their investment. So that they just want to make sure that, that you're a legitimate person, that the deal is legitimate, um, that the returns are reasonable and, and reasonably believable Um you know, because if it sounds too good to be true, they'll probably think it is too good to be true. And sometimes deals are better sounding than, than they ought to be. But you just you got to dial it back a little bit and make them feel comfortable with dealing with you. They need to make sure that you, you've got the, the abilities, the uh, skills, and that the quality of the deal is there. Well, sure. And, and where these two interests intersect, really, you're the guy who has the solution. You're not a guy who's out looking for a solution. You know what I mean? Do you follow me there? Mm-hmm. You know, you're not yeah, saying, exactly. hey, fix this for me. You're saying, I can fix this for you because your money's in a CD that's, you know, worthless. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, interesting. That's right. Well, let, right. let me let me also ask you uh, on these on these deals that you get people to 
to fund or joint venture on or what have you. Um, mm-hmm. Are are these particular kinds of deals? How do you how do you you know where do you find your deals? Right, the second most common question in real estate. Yeah, really all over. You've got to have a bunch of things going on at once. Um, we, we have people that are giving us referrals all the time. Uh, we'll run ads, um, especially if like you leave a property in and you run the ad. You're not just running the ad to sell that property. You're also running the ad to find more people who want to buy that kind of property from you and you want to build your database with that. Um, calling ads, uh, you know, expired listings, direct mail, foreclosures. You know, by foreclosures, I mean tax and mortgage foreclosures. And some people overlook the tax foreclosure because that doesn't involve short sales. Um bankruptcies, probates. One thing I, I've done is uh, I used to do this all the time. I'm just going to get back into that again here soon here, is driving for dollars. I used to get out every Friday morning, and I would walk a different park on Friday morning. And what I would do is drive around all the neighborhoods around those parks and try to look for vacant houses, because that's kind of a key. Vacant houses um, generally have more motivated sellers than occupied houses. I mean, it's not a, it's a hard and fast rule, but for the most part, I mean, someone's maintaining a house and there's nobody in it. Oh, I agree. And it's not good for insurance. It's not good for if they have a mortgage on it. Um, we we you know, still do that. If they, if they live out of state, they got that hanging out there. Yeah, we still do that to this day. But mm-hmm. it won't yeah, work for the rest of you. I'll pick up a deal that way every once in a while. Don't do not do it in Cincinnati. I think it's illegal in some way. Um, yeah, it, 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 it doesn't work here anyway, yeah. even if it is legal. Exactly. So, yeah, we'll, we'll just... Um, but yeah, we that's that's a that's a good idea. So th- there's not like a particular kind of cookie cutter deal that's right for this. It's just hey, this is a good investment that's going to make money. Do you want to do you want to get it? There it is. Yeah, you just have to you have to you have to just beat the bushes in every every way. And when something comes up that's a good deal, that's when you kick in into gear and do something with it. Okay. Because there's no one way to find good deals. They're all over. No, yeah, sure. And so when. I guess these are both kind of a, a parallel pro- path process that you're always looking mm-hmm. for deals and you're always looking for potential partners. So what's your preferred term? Is it JV? Is it a partner? Is it? I, I just refer to partners. Yeah. Okay. Cause for me, and I, and I know this isn't necessarily technically accurate, but yeah. for me, you know, a, a partner is someone who is going to put up the money and let me take care of things and, 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 uh, it's not a, where there's a monthly payment. They're not a, not going to be a, a, a mortgagee. You know, they're not going to be the um, a lender, private lender. For me, a partner is someone who puts up, puts up the money, lets me go do my thing, and I bring them back a bigger check than the one they gave me. And normally, if I'm doing a JV with somebody, it's it's because I have I'm lacking some other resource that they have to get the deal done. Like maybe if it's going to be something commercial, I don't have much experience in commercial. So if I come across a good opportunity in a commercial property, I might joint venture with someone who is a commercial. Uh, expert, and then we'll pool our resources. In, the ca- in that case, and I consider that more of a joint venture as opposed to partnering, because we're both bringing some resources to the table in a case like that. Um, but for me, partnering is pretty much they put up the money, and I want someone who's going to put it up and then shut up. I, and I, I mean that in the nicest sense. I, I just don't want someone who wants to try to run the deal and tell me how, how it should be done or what it should be, which I should be doing. And I certainly don't want someone who's going to call me every 48 hours for an update. And I don't want to use somebody's milk money. It needs to be money that's set aside for speculation, for investing, for putting into something. They have to be prepared to, to risk losing some or all of it. I mean, that's just something you, that, that they have to be prepared for. Um, and um, they have to be someone who wants a better rate than what they're getting now, and they're patient enough to wait for me to bring it to them. Sure. So someone with the long view. 
not not someone who's going to obsessively check their their stock market portfolio every every two yeah, and a half like hours. A to, yeah, yeah, exactly. I dig yep. it. So no ADD, a little patience is required. Um, you're yep. listening to real life. Do my thing. All right, good. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate. I'm Drew White in for Vina Jones-Cox. I'm interviewing Nick Mottarelli, author of Full Frontal Real Estate, about his experiences as a JV person. If you have questions for Nick, call us now at 877-772-9658 or send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate. I'm Drew White sitting in for Vina Jones-Cox. Our guest today is Nick Mottarelli, experienced investor and author. And we're talking about how to get the attention of money people to fund, buy, or partner on your deals. Ask your questions before the end of the show at askvina at gmail.com or 877-772-9658. You can always stay in touch with Real Life Real Estate by joining our community at www.realliferealestate.com. There you'll find podcasts of previous programs, a 24-hour question form with special offers for listeners. This week, you can sign up for a free five-week wholesaling quick start course with Vina by going to realliferealestate.com and registering at the tab on the top. So, Nick, all right. Yeah. Um, when, when you're looking for a deal or at a deal, is there is there a particular sort of facts matrix you're looking for? Is it is it certain numbers or certain condition or you know give us give us an overview of that kind of thing? Oh sure, actually the most important thing I look for is a highly motivated seller, and the reason being is that because um, equity would then be the second thing I'm looking for because if I'm going to buy something all cash, I need to buy it cheap, and I can't buy it cheap if they owe more than the house, then I can pay them for it, right? So equity is important if I'm going to do a kind of a cash deal. But equity can also be manufactured artificially if I have a flexible seller. So if I've got a flexible seller, I can make money on the property, whether there's equity there or whether there isn't. And the way you manufacture it artificially is by creating a term deal. So if somebody owes 85000 on a $100,000 house, that's not the kind of house you can steal because that's, you know, they owe way too much. Mm-hmm. But I can buy their house for $85,000 if they'll take payments that make sense for me uh, every month that I can service very easily with the house and give me five, six, seven, eight, ten years to buy it before I actually have to cash them out. Yeah. and Or if they but let that... me just take over their deed. I mean, that's... That creates equity artificially, too, because I can sell that property to someone else on terms as well, and they don't have to go to a bank. And that's So it's worth more to them. And That additional and value. Let me, let me ask a question, though. The, the, that, uh, that doesn't sound like a deal you need a partner for. No. I mean, now, there were times back when, when um, we were looking at subject to deals where the, the, the person had some equity and wanted to get some of it. Um, like maybe let's say that someone had a $100,000 house and they owed 70000 on it and they wanted 10000 in equity. Well, I could buy it for eighty, but I'm, where am I coming up with the other ten? Well, not out of my pocket. I'm going to split it with a partner who's going to put up that money and, and get a second mortgage on that property. So you would you would use a funding partner for something like that. Oh, I see. Otherwise, that deal's dead. Yeah. You can't get in the 10000 out of your own pocket. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, uh, if we can, let's let's go to the phones. We have a phone call on line one. Um, let's uh, let's talk to Jeff in Florida. Jeff, are you with us, buddy? And I'm hearing the buzz, 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 but not an actual voice. Jeff, can you try it again? Uh, 
Let's Mike's working out something. Hey, it sounded like you connected. Hey, Jeff, are you still there? No. All right. Um, well, that would have been fun. Well, he's holding out for Zena. <laughs> it's going to be a long wait, Jeff. It's going to be a okay. one-week hold. Hey, Jeff, can you hear us now? Nope. All right. Sorry about that. We're uh, we're apparently just not going to talk to the general public today. Um, <laughs> Jeff, feel free to feel free to send us your question via email, and I'll stop giving out the phone number since <laughs> since that's a challenge. Um, yeah, or or maybe he just got tired of listening to us and and already hung up. But feel free to ask your question via email at askvina at gmail dot com. Um, so the when you are trying to divide up a pie uh mm-hmm. with with one of your with one of your money people or someone is looking to you know our our listeners at large are trying to divide up pies with money partners that they are talking mm-hmm. to or you know um sniffing out how do you come to that decision how do you figure out is it, is it always a 50-50 split? What's appropriate and fair, and how do you get there? Well, it, for me, it's almost never a 50-50 split. Now, as I say that, the last deal I just did, I did a 50-50 split with my partner because it was it was a the, – the numbers were smaller, and, and I did something I'm going to cover here with you in just a moment here, um, where I had already taken some profit out up front anyways. So I didn't really mind splitting a little bit larger pie on the back end. But generally speaking, there's no hard and fast rule. But generally speaking, the, the, the two biggest factors on my decision are the time and the cash intensity of the deal. The longer it's going to take or, the, or the, the more cash it's going to require, the larger spread I create for myself because that spread gets eaten away by things that come up in the, that you don't count on. The longer it's going to take, there's more things that are going to come up you hadn't planned on. The more cash it's going to take, the more things are going to come up that the costs are going to show up that, that you didn't expect to be there. So you just need to make sure that, that, you, that your spread's larger, and that way, um, when it's all said and done with, at least you walk away with a, with a reasonable figure. So, I mean, I can't give you a hard and fast rule because it's going to vary on each deal. But let me just give you kind of an idea of, of um, like, a typical deal I might do with someone on, on, on a, when I'm going to partner with someone. If I come across a property that I can buy below wholesale, I have a couple of choices. One of them is I can just flip it for a quick wholesale profit, which is what a lot of people who are wholesalers do. Mm-hmm. The other thing is I can go ahead and flip it to a partnership instead and get that wholesale profit and then go ahead and fix the property up and then also cash out on the back end as well. Okay, so and when I do a, I'm sorry, go yeah. ahead. I was just going to reiterate my own understanding at that point, but go ahead. Yeah, it's usually around a 75-25 or 80-20 split. I don't do 50-50. I just happened to have done the last one with a good friend, and it was a smaller deal, so the numbers weren't going to be very large for her. So I was a lot more generous than I normally am. Uh huh. But go ahead. You want you want to kind of reiterate that, see if you got it. Basically, yeah, I'll repeat it back to you, and you tell me if I've got it. Um, Okay. The what's happening is you're finding the deal and perhaps this isn't, you know, necessarily what happens every time, but you kind mm-hmm. of wholesale it to now this partnership that you have with another person and they fund right. the deal and, and you proceed. And does the person who is your partner, are they aware, completely aware of what's happening this whole time? Yes. Okay. 
Yeah, because I'll tell them that, that I have a choice of wholesaling to, to an investor and let them make a profit, or would you like to partner with me on this deal and we can make a profit? Yeah. And the answer is always, well, no, flip it to us. Don't don't waste that on someone else. <laughs> so, yeah, they're, they're fully aware of that, and they're fine with that. Good. And then um, the back end, I, I never do really – I shouldn't say never do 50-50 because I just did one, but I don't <laughs> normally do 50-50. That's pretty rare. Uh-huh. So I would offer that kind of return. Okay. Well, let's let's uh, let's get to a couple more questions uh, that sure. that have come in via email. Uh, since apparently, you know, we don't have phone lines here anymore. Uh, I'm glad that's working then. Uh, uh, Mike wants me to try it again. This Jeff? is a recording. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, Jeff, Jeff hung up, so maybe he'll send us an email. Um, from Chris in Pittsburgh, I have a relative that I used as a private lender for several deals. Now I'd like to partner with him because I see the advantage of not having to make payments when there's no income. I'm willing to give him more of the deal, but I can't convince him to do anything that doesn't get him a payment every month. He's not broke Mm. and he definitely doesn't need the money to live on. Do you have any suggestions Mm. for how to approach him? Well, maybe if he wants payments, you might try to shoot for quarterly payments. At least then the property's probably probably been occupied for a portion of those months, or it gives you only one payment to come to do between the time that you get the deal funded and the time you're cashing them out, if you can get the deal done in six months or so. Um, I, I don't really know what's driving his need for the payment if he doesn't have an actual uh, physical need for the, for the money or financial need for the money. I think it's just that it's the only, it's the only way he knows how to do business. Yeah, that would be. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm interpreting a lot from from a relatively mm-hmm. short email. But if the guy, you know, has a little money and doesn't need the monthly income, I think it's just because that's what he's comfortable with. He wants to see those soldiers coming home every month, rather than just have this idea that oh yeah, someday when this realizes a real profit you know, we're going to split it up thusly. And it seems like that's kind of yeah. the point of attack. I guess so. I guess he's just going to have to ask more questions of his uh, relative to see what, what's driving his thinking there and, and say, look, you know, um, I'm willing to give you a bigger piece of the pie if you'll just be the owner with me. And the way I do it is I use land trusts. And, uh, you know, we, I make us our interests appear in the same form of the split. So if it's an 80-20 split, then I, I sell them 20% of the... Uh, equity in the property for X dollars, and that's, that money is enough to buy the property and fix it up, hmm. and they own 20% of the trust. You know, and something something that I might try, uh, Chris, is, you know, Veen and I commonly do everything in land trusts as well, and, and that all makes sense. I wonder if it would make him feel a little better if he or someone he controlled, I don't want to say controlled, but someone that he had some influence over, um, let's see, did he say this? Uh, he just said a relative, um, mm-hmm. and make, make your relative's wife, the trustee. So what for you're safe, doing for him to feel safer. Exactly. Yeah. So he mm-hmm. feels like, or make him the trustee. Yeah. And uh, because maybe he's, the money is going into, uh, uh, his corporation that's loaning you the money. Who knows? I mean, not, you know, yeah, but take some action like that that makes him feel like he's okay. He's not just handing you a bunch of money and waiting until the someday when he gets paid. That way, if mm-hmm. you know things start to go downhill or he, or he perceives he they are, he has at least this 
this perceived ability to put the brakes on or something like that, and that might make him feel a lot better. Um, it might. Now, one thing I wanted to bring up quickly is I think you mentioned he's from uh, Pennsylvania, correct? I think it's Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh it yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, Pennsylvania treats land trusts differently than just about every other state that I'm aware of. So there might be some special rules for uh, land trusts in the state of Pennsylvania that make them not necessarily all that awesome to use. Now, I don't know if it has to do with the fact that there's um, it, it involves a, some type of, of, a, of a special tax, or I really don't know what the issues are with it. But he might want to look into that if he's thinking about using a land trust. Um, so I don't want to. I want to put that out there. Sure. Um, find out, yeah. Find I, out what limitations there are. Or, you know. You're why tic- they're less desirable in Pennsylvania. You're, you're tickling something in my memory as well that maybe there's there's a registration fee or something like that. Yeah. Something, but, there's something that makes them less desirable to do there. Yeah. So he might want to just form a um, you know an LLC for that for that particular property. Although I'd hate to. I hate to do that because every LLC you form has, it involves dealing with the Secretary of State and then having to file a tax return for mm-hmm. that LLC just for that property. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he. Well, he should just he should just, he should just look into it. Yeah. I mean, as always, we are not here to give legal accounting or other professional advice. Always consult your legal accounting or other professional before making any investment. I haven't heard Absolutely. that a thousand times. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's worth looking into. And, you know, maybe the hassle is a relative thing. You know, if if the hassle that we're vaguely remembering is, oh, yeah, it costs you one hundred and seventy five dollars a year to have a land trust in in Pennsylvania and you're planning on getting in and out of this deal in two years. Who cares? You know, right. So, or if it's not as, as opaque as there are other places to give you the the cloaking that you would normally like. Who cares? Mm-hmm. It's all, it, again, it's just a, a way of creating an entity that that the, that the assets can be divided you know appropriately for them if that's if that still works then maybe it's worth doing so you can look into that good um we've got another question that i want to that i want to get to because we're we're you know time is slipping through our fingers already um Lou right. in in no i'm not complaining you know this is the way it goes right <laughs> that's why i was like mm-hmm. let's jump right in uh lou in durham north carolina i have a chance to pick up a package of 19 section eight houses which sounds like punishment to me um that was me editorializing <laughs> lou did not write that uh at about a 12 percent rate of return i need a cash partner with nine hundred thousand dollars to do that should i offer half the return or is that not enough any suggestions on how to package this deal for a shark so let's let's put you on the on the stage at Rhea tomorrow night and someone walks up to you and, you know, someone takes center stage to present and says, all right, guys, how do I put this deal together? You know, mm. are the sharks interested and what are they going to be interested in? You know, if, if he says I can get a 12 percent return and I'll give you half of that. So you've got See, six all did, on yeah, your million dollars. Right now that that return you have to make sure that that return is real, and, and 12% is actually not that high. Um, a lot of people who are in the shark industry are looking for uh, higher cash-on-cash returns than that. And so if they're looking for something higher than that, then the 12%, if it's even real, um, wouldn't be enough if you gave them all of it. And what I mean by whether or not this is a, a true 12% is that you have to look at the gross rents and then – 
as, use a multiplier to de- deduct anywhere from 35 to 40 percent of that amount to account for administrative costs, uh, vacancies, turnovers, things like that. And what I see with a lot of people is that they will look at the gross rents and say the gross rents, uh, as, as, as it's related to the purchase price, that's the percentage of return. You see what I mean? With mm-hmm. no allowance for, for administrative costs and, and actual um, cost of ownership that go along with things that are rentals, because rentals are turn- come with tenants, and that comes with damages, comes with turnovers, comes with, with um, you know, well, ma- I don't know, replacement reserves. Repairs. Yeah, all the Absolutely. all that stuff. That's so it all depends on what right. It all depends on whether or not that 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 number has been properly assessed, and even if it has been, for the most case, when it comes to sharks, they're looking for higher returns than even twelve percent. I mean, fifteen percent is probably bottom end what most sharks would be looking for. Um, they he needs to find for something like that uh, someone to do a joint venture with. Um, that has unless he and unless he has experience with it, he needs someone who has experience with that that quantity of properties. I agree because you can't just pick up something like that as a newbie and say this is a great deal because it wouldn't be necessarily for you if you're going to end up screwing the whole thing up. Um, but if he has experience, then you know he needs to bring in somebody who just has cash and just doesn't want to be bothered with with um, the process and let that person's cash be his um, funding. Mm-hmm. And that's what they can put up as a partner. If it's so, if he doesn't have experience with this, he needs to get, find someone who has cash and experience, and then go in and maybe operate more as the finder on this whole thing and get a small piece of the pie for for finding the deal and bringing it to them. I agree. Well, let's so, let's come back but, to that in in, in a second, yeah. if we may. Um, you're mm-hmm. listening to Real Life Real Estate. I'm Drew White, in for Vina Jones Cox, um, interviewing Nick Motorelli, the author of Full Frontal Real Estate, about his experience in the JV and partner business. If you have questions for Nick, you better just email us at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate. I'm Drew White sitting in for Vina Jones-Cox. Our guest today is Nick Motorelli, author of Full Frontal Real Estate, available on Amazon. If you want to order Dick's book or any of our guest books on Real Life Real Estate, do it through the Amazon link at wmkvfm.org. It won't cost you any extra, not one thin dime, and it supports public radio and real-life real estate here on the Maple Knoll Radio Network. So, Nick, let's let's kind of circle back to that to that last discussion mm-hmm. real quick because that's that's okay. an important thing when someone is presenting. A, a deal to a shark or yeah what i guess we'll just that's entered the lexicon now but uh you know a money person or an investor or what have you um mm-hmm. when we when Veen and i see uh a lot of wholesalers analysis or or some you know people we met at ria their analysis of the profitability of a deal it is largely how you've described they're like look this mm-hmm. is the rent minus the tax and insurance so this is what the property will make and that's kind of awful you know i mean that's that right is is wildly inaccurate and Absolutely. and there are a whole bunch of other numbers that are supposed to go into that and i know that that's uh-huh. like if you look at the the local realtors mls analysis of a multifamily that's basically what it has gross rent minus this and this and they might throw in a line if you have to pay for your own trash pickup and they're like look how much money this place makes if someone is coming to 
you know, a, a shark like your your group tomorrow at Rhea or, uh-huh. or what have you. Um, walk us through what what should they actually have in there to show, first of all, that they know what the heck they're doing. And and second of all, you know, what kind of what's the profitability index? You said uh, most sharks are kind of looking for 15 percent or or higher. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, that's hard money rates, right? Um, well, yeah, but, the reason they're looking for 50% or more is because their job, they make money with their money. Uh-huh. And unlike a dentist or a doctor or a lawyer who doesn't have time to go out and make money with the with their investments that they have, they're still busy making money fixing people up or, or writing trusts or whatever that it is that they do for a living. And, and so their money that they is making money over here on the side, and so they can, they'll be, they're willing to take smaller returns. But generally, a shark wants more because that's their whole thing. Their money makes their money. Their money is, are, their, are their employees. And so they're usually looking for something larger. And you can tell if someone knows what they're talking about a lot of times by through the nervousness. Just because someone's nervous when they're trying to talk to you and, they're, and they're maybe they're, they're stumbling as they're trying to pitch it to you, at least if you can see that they're using realistic numbers and that they've, uh, that they've made allowances for things like, you know, turnovers and, and uh, repairs, maintenance, vacancies, things like that, um, as opposed to someone who just says, this is the payment, and if, if, you, if you take away the taxes, sometimes they don't even count interest. They just say, if you take away the, ta- the annual taxes, then you're looking at a net of this much, and if you divide that by the purchase price, you're looking at a return of this much, you know, 17%, 18%, and that's when you know someone doesn't know what they're talking about. Which is how all the hedge funds were, were processing their um, <laughs> yeah. purchases. Yeah, that kept me started. They were paying too much. Yeah, they were driving us all, all the wholesalers. They were making our, uh, our lives miserable because they were paying way more than they should because they were paying and, and saying that they were going to get an 8 9 10% return on the money. But the way, they, the way the numbers were really run, they would be lucky to break even. Yes, that that's our that's our own analysis as well. When we when we would talk to those fellows, and and Vina knows some of these guys a little bit, and you know goes to conferences and that kind of thing, and kind of gets the inside scoop sometimes. You know these 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 are unfortunately like Wall Street guys who are trying to treat real estate as if it were a Wall Street product, which you know we all know really doesn't work. And they're promising their investors no. who were desperate Stocks for a place to put, yes, who were desperate for a place to put the money to work, you know, between yeah. 10 and 16%. And when we would look at, you know, a tape or a package or something, we're like, wait a minute, this is well-managed, which it's maybe not possible to do for a wall street guy from New York or California to do this property is going to make two or 3% real world i mean at the end of the day and sure they're in danger of going negative you know at any time sure and with when it's that narrow absolutely yeah i i and that's that's ridiculous and they luckily you know it seems like a lot of those guys have have you know moved on or sold out or i don't know killed themselves or gone bankrupt or what have you um so hopefully the true market forces will return us to a little bit of normalcy um, but in in the couple minutes that that we have left, can we can you run down for us your quick analysis of someone comes to you again at Ria tomorrow night, and they uh-huh. say, "Here's my analysis of the deal." You know, what do you want okay. to see on that spreadsheet? Um, for okay, so here's my 
and and we'll just say that, that they're looking for money for a long-term hold because I know otherwise the the field's too wide open. But if someone's mm-hmm. looking to analyze the the cash flow profitability of again, we'll keep it simple and say a single family home, what does what should that look like when you see it? Well, if I don't see a difference in the gross rent to what they decided to refer to as the net rent of thirty five to forty percent, I know right off the bat that they're that they're using airy fairy numbers. I mean you've got to have at least that kind of a spread. Uh, if you're somewhere in that ballpark and they can justify it, you know it's it's something you could pay attention to. But honest to goodness, if they're if they're showing you a house that rents for a thousand dollars a month and they're not saying that the net rent is somewhere in the six fifty to six hundred dollar range, then uh, they're blowing smoke. Yeah, and it's not going to fly in, okay. the, in the long run. All right, so that's a that's a decent rule of thumb. Remember, it's a rule of thumb, not an analysis, but right, exactly, not absolutely, because you got some areas where the taxes are much lower for the house than than um, others and you know sometimes the tax rate itself alone is enough to, to, to change that dramatically yeah i agree um okay and finally the if someone is i let me first let me tell you kind of what i advise people when they say oh, how do i how do i talk to these people where do i find them you know my first advice is always get noticed go to ria and make noise so at the RIA meeting when they say, as they sometimes do, Hey, who's done a deal since our last meeting. And like at first, no one raises their hand. And then, you know, the president or whoever's the running the meeting cajoles them a little bit more. You get a couple tentative hands. And I'm like, my heavens, if you're actually doing the business, jump up and shout, you know, because you want oh, these yeah. people to come to you and say, Hey, look! It seems like you're doing a lot of business. How do I get a piece? Basically, so your thoughts in thirty you, yeah. seconds or less. Yeah, if you if you get a deal done, make sure you you get among a group of people and let them know about the deal you just did because that adds credibility to you. It brings uh, people to you because uh, success will attract success. So if you have have had success with a deal, let everyone in the world know about it. Okay. I guarantee you, no matter what group you walk into, you will not have trouble getting your, your deal announced because no one else is willing to talk about what they're doing. Excellent. Nick, I really appreciate it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Nick Motorelli is one of four sharks at Cincinnati Rhea's Shark Tank meeting tomorrow night. You can find out how to attend and download a free guest pass at www.cincinnatirea.com. Vina will be back next week, assuming she's ever escaped the Raleigh airport, with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. <laughs>